0: Uh, what is nothing? Yeah, that's deep.
1: What in the fuck are we
0: doing here? What is something? That's deep, bro. Welcome to That's Deep Bro, Serious Questions with Silly People. I'm your host, Christina Pajitsky, comedian, don't you hate that, comedian and philosopher. I studied philosophy uh, as an undergraduate, and now I'm bringing you all my favorite ideas. And today is an idea more out of the self-help world, but nonetheless, I find a way to tie this into Nietzsche. Can you believe that? Um, Topic for today is forgiveness. Oh, forgiveness um, or forgetfulness when Nietzsche discusses it in the genealogy of morals. My guest today is Paul Martin of the Mental Illness Happy Hour. He has a wonderful podcast called the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Um, and he has spent years devoted to the topic of mental illness in a very thoughtful, very helpful way. I highly recommend checking out his show at mentalpod.com. Um, he himself is a, an abuse... Survivor uh, and an incest survivor of his mother. Ugh. And today's topic is: How do you begin to forgive that? How do you forgive somebody that's abused you? Um, you know, because the, they tell you you can you can forgive somebody, you can relinquish the bad feelings, but not forgive the action. But how do you separate the two? How do you forgive somebody without kind of pardoning somebody's bad behavior? It's very complicated but we get into it today and uh it's 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 quite an episode you guys are really going to love it I, um people have emailed requesting that I do the topic of mental illness because of my my mother she is mentally ill and I don't you know I don't always talk about specifics but I I did Paul show and there's my episode is there um on his website on mentalpod.com so if you want to hear more in in depth about that uh, that episode is there um So, okay, a little bit of business. If you'd like to sponsor That's Deep Bro, please, I implore you. If you'd shop on Amazon, which you should because it's the best, please use my banner on That's Deep Bro Podcast.com. Just do your shopping as you normally would, but click through my banner, and that way it kicks back some coin to the show. Also, uh, if you want a little lighter show, check out your mom's house. It's the other podcast I do with my fantastically funny husband, Tom Segura. And check out my stand-up dates. 2015, I put up a bunch of new dates at my new website URL. It's called thousandranch.com. That's thousandranch.com, two of my favorite salad dressings together, thousandranch.com. You'll find all my 2015 stuff. I'll be coming to Cincinnati, Seattle, Washington, D.C., Let me see where else. I got my calendar right here in front of me. Oh, Indianapolis and Brooklyn. We're going to do the podcast there. And uh, not this podcast, sorry, your mom's house and Boston. So it's very exciting 2015. I'm really excited. And some other business, I had somebody email me asking about books for meditation. Yes. Uh, I figured I would just answer it at the beginning of the show so that I'm sure other people had the same request. So Books for Meditation, there's a wonderful book that I found randomly, and it's the longest title in the world. It's called Meditation, a simple eight-point program for translating spiritual ideals into daily life. (laughs) Don't worry, if you didn't get the title, the author's really easy too. His name is Eknath Iswaran. Traditional spelling, of course, of Eknath and Iswaran. How about this? How about I just put this book title um, on my website, and you can you can see it there, and you can hopefully get it on Amazon. Uh, also, another valuable resource is the wonderful Swami Sachidananda. S A T C H I D A N A N D A. Swami Sachidananda. He's he's gone. He's not with us in in physical form, but he's you know he's around on the internet and stuff still. He talks about meditation. And also a wonderful resource is Ram Dass, R-A-M, new word, Dass, D-A-S-S. He's one of the Harvard psychologists uh, in the 60s that ended up going to India after dropping a bunch of acid, and then he became a guru himself, Ram Dass, although I don't think he would call himself a guru in all fairness. But he has a wonderful book called Be Here Now, which is a nice way to get into meditation. Also, there's several downloadable meditation um, aids on iTunes. I I love louise hay she's but that's only if you like really touchy-feely New agey types if you're comfortable with that sort of thing louise hay is fantastic She's got like meditations for morning And for the evening before you go to bed and like at the end of them. She'll be like I love you, which is just it's so great (laughs) It's so embarrassing. It's so great also, there's a podcast called meditation oasis and they have a bunch of free downloadable meditations for anything you might be going through for things like you know creativity or maybe you're going through depression or maybe you're full of anxiety meditation oasis has it all so bam there you go i think that's all i had beforehand um enjoy this this uh episode it's so heavy it's so deep and also really great. And I, and I know like Paul and I are talking about more extreme levels of forgiveness. And please don't think that this excludes you if you're dealing with something a little less varsity level in the realm of, of um, forgiveness. I think it's a pretty universal topic. The book I referenced today is The Genealogy of Morals by Friedrich Nietzsche. The Genealogy of Morals I only reference uh, the part of forgetfulness Which is I think like in the second essay And Actually a really good read If you want to get into Nietzsche I recommend The Genealogy of Morals And one day I will cover this book In its entirety with somebody who's way more qualified Than I am to really get into it Because it deserves that level All right, here we go Forgiveness Oh I have the perfect song For forgiveness Hold on We can't start it from the beginning, The Who. You know that song from Rushmore? About forgiving. You all forget. But you can't start from the beginning, Christina. It's too long. Okay, here we go. Oh, here we go. All right, enjoy it. Forgiveness. Bang. Bang. Bang, bang, bang. Paul Gilmartin, um, who has a wonderful podcast called the Mental Illness Podcast. No, the Mental Illness Happy Hour. Um, And how long have you been doing the show for?
1: Uh, It will be, I started in March of 2011, so almost four years.
0: That's awesome. And Yeah,
1: and you were a fantastic oh, guest. Thanks. You were one of my favorites. Oh, you really brought you. it. Yeah.
0: Well, there's so much crazy in my family.
1: It's it's it was so comforting <laughs> to, to to talk to you because we both have narcissistic toxic moms.
0: <laughs> oh, oh, we'll, we'll get into that. But yeah. the reason I Can I turn my headphones yeah, down just mine a tiny are bit? Like, I'm deaf, too. Let's see. Which one are you? Meow, meow, Hello. meow. Is yeah, that you? Yep, that's me. How is it, how's that? That's perfect. That's better? Okay. Let me do me now. meow, 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 meow. Here we go. My husband. What does he know? Okay. <laughs> um, so, but I, I asked you here today because I put out a call to my listeners. What's the topic you want to hear more about? And the resounding answer was mental illness. And I thought, I'm not really qualified to go down that lane um, but your show...
1: You're so qualified to go down that <laughs> lane. You are, and I don't mean that as an insult, but you've you been affected by it your whole life. Yeah. You were raised by a mom who has mental illness. Yeah. You're as qualified, You're more qualified than some therapist and psychiatrist. I'm not kidding. Well, thank you. You've experienced it in the Ugh. trenches, not through a textbook.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I do see that sometimes when my shrink says stuff. I'm like, oh, you've never... Uh- you've clearly never been on the uh, the other end of this um but i am
1: you're not familiar with the fetal <laughs> position like I am you never right. sucked your thumb as an adult
0: <laughs> right yeah clearly lady um but your your show I just want to put it out there it, it, it's such a valuable resource to people because you cover everything from like you know p t s d you, you you read listener confessions, you have a woman on there. Uh, blogging about having an abortion just four weeks ago. And these are topics that people are so uh, ooky about. There's a lot of fear around the dark side of the force, so to speak, but your show really explores that and it's so valuable. And I wish you had a TV show. Where you could do this every <laughs> week. it needs to be um, out there. What prompted you to start the show? Just I went of off my meds
1: and wanted to kill myself <laughs> and I was like uh, sorry, and, I don't
0: mean to laugh <laughs> And I oh no,
1: it's 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 funny in hindsight, but I'd been on meds for ten years, been in support groups, gone to psychiatrists, therapists, you know, was in treatment for all of that stuff, and I was still fooled by it. Um, cause it took about five months for it to creep back in and I thought it was reality. And I thought if I've been fooled by it with 10 years of experience in dealing with it, I've got to get the word out about all the ways that mental illness camouflages itself. It camouflages oh, itself it. through you believing your life is shit, that you're never going to get better. Um, you know, it, on and on and on and on. And, uh, and I, I was meditating one morning and I was like, I should do a podcast about, uh about mental illness, I, had a, I had, a, had a couple of people, my wife has had always been nudging me, you should do a podcast, you should do a podcast. But I felt like I want, there are other people that do comedy way better than me. And I thought, I, I I can't compete with that. I don't wanna compete with that. I wanna wait until I find an idea for one. And so when that idea came to me, I was like, yes, that's that's what I should do because the way that mental illness is handled in the media is either so precious and new agey, or <laughs> textbooky and condescending, like Doctor Phil. And I thought nobody talks about it the way my friends and I do, which is like cracking mm-hmm. jokes, like you and I <laughs> did a minute ago. Right. Um, so that's what kind of led me to to want to start it.
0: So it's interesting how you say that it 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 masks itself to you. It tells you lies. Mental illness oh, so and. Believable. Yeah, and also like, I, you know, go. I guess what I had was a form of PTSD. I guess when you're in an abusive parent-child relationship and you're an adult, and then you go back and you go, "Oh wow, that's what that was," because that felt normal to me for many. Isn't
1: it amazing? <laughs>
0: it's so scary, and you're right. Your brain. You almost have like I'm in the process of psychotherapy, and I'm starting psychoanalysis very soon, where she's going to essentially rewire my brain. So now EMDR is that what you're going? to I do? don't. You know, I'm I'm not sure. We've just started talking about it, so I I have to ask more questions. But but really, what you're doing and what you're talking about the lies that you tell yourself it's actually how your brain was kind of mapped and formed. Some part of your life, maybe it's your childhood stuff, and then like therapy and what we're doing and talking about it is like a remapping and seeing what's happening to you today the reality of stuff versus the the tape in your head and the tape in your head Ooh. that
1: that's the scary part it's and it's it, it's buried in there the grooves are deep yeah and it's the as you begin to try to rewire it you think this is horse shit this is <laughs> new agey, touchy feely, the therapist is just saying this because I'm paying them on and on and on and on. It's When your trust has been consistently violated as a child, it's so hard to accept what people say at face value, people that love you.
0: Yes, yes, you do tell yourself, even something as small as receiving a compliment on like stand-up. hey, you're really funny, and, and you go, you're just saying that.
1: Yeah. You just or, or you clearly have low standards. Yeah. And you <laughs> don't know. You've clearly only been to one show, which was mine.
0: Right, right
1: And if you come back tomorrow night, you'll realize what a fraud I. Am.
0: Right. right? All those under underlying, undermining uh, habits, actually habits of thought, I would say, as opposed to the, the truth. What is the truth? The truth is what's happening now, I guess. I don't.
1: The truth is that we have enough, we do enough, and we are enough, exactly yes, as we are right. in this moment. But it's so hard to believe that, especially in the cult that is our society of materialism. And I know that yes. sounds like, "Oh, yes, why no. don't you go hug a tree, motherfucker?" <laughs> but it's true because I I was down that path of having all the stuff, having a TV show that was you know, popular and it was a secure job and I had money and time to spend the money and all the stuff that you dream about having. And I wanted to kill myself 50 times a day. Mm. And so I know that that is a myth that that will fix you. Money's nice. I'd love to have more money. I love having toys and stuff like that, but it will not fix trauma. It will mm. not fix addiction. It will not fix that emptiness that can only, in my opinion, be Filled by having a life that has meaning and purpose.
0: God, you just encapsulated like, wow! What can I have talked to you like a year ago? Because I had a, I had this, I had that realization. I, I had a mental breakdown in, uh, in a hotel room in the middle of the day. I was drinking wine in the middle of the day and on a stand-up week. And this just- is a
1: lovely picture. <laughs> I hope you. I hope that you are in tattered underwear. Yeah.
0: in my flannel pajamas sure and um you know crocheting and crying i'd taken up crocheting as a way to deal with the anxiety of being on the road and the sadness and i also had the epiphany that hey this is all there is and no amount of like you said the tv stuff or the stand-up or the money or the stuff is going to fill what's fundamentally wrong here something's wrong yeah. And I went on an ad, and that's when I started doing the show actually because I thought well something's something's missing and I'm going to figure out what that is. So this show has actually been a journey in figuring out what is that? What's the void? What am I avoiding by trying to chase after x y and z?
1: And and that process of regaining our dignity, the dignity that was taken from us yeah. as a as a child by having our needs completely ignored yeah. and superseded by our our you know narcissistic parents needs um yeah it that the the process of regaining our dignity is so circuitous and so filled with moments of a complete lack of dignity mm. it's it feels like we're fucking up but in many ways, that's the most healing thing that we can do for other people who are in the same situation. That's mm. what I've discovered doing the podcast. And that's the gift and the opportunity that you have mm. is you bring, you comforted me when you did my podcast. I was like, oh, I'm not alone. Mm. It, it, people loved your episode, myself oh, included. And you're uniquely positioned to help other people heal as, as you heal right. and, um, Never forget that. Never yeah. forget that, that you're not alone in, in, in doing this.
0: Yeah, I agree. And that is the, both of us are in that unique, and that people listen to the stuff we say, and why not say something that could help somebody else? In light of that, uh, this is a philosophy show. Um, so I can't, well, I can't cover mental illness per se as a topic. I thought a nice offshoot of this, to tie this into philosophy, would be going uh, going to the subject of forgiveness. Because um, that is something philosophers have written about. And one one that comes to mind, my absolute favorite, I love Frederick Nietzsche. I love, there's a great book called The Genealogy of Morals. Did you ever read philosophy in college or anything? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. The Genealogy of Morals. It's one of his, you know, big works that people quote, and he's very dramatic, and he's not always historically accurate. But Nietzsche's a fun writer. <laughs> and he... It doesn't talk about forgiveness per se, but rather the idea of forgetfulness, which I think is an is actually very similar um, to forgiveness. And he writes, forgetfulness is not just, uh, and then he says, vis inertiae, I don't know what the fuck this Sweet Latin means. Sweet mother of feels. God. I hope he <laughs> stroked
1: his beard when he said that.
0: Vis <laughs> inertiae, I don't know what the fuck that means. As superficial people believe, but it is rather an active ability to suppress positive in the strongest sense of the word to which we owe the fact that what we simply live through experience take in no more enters our consciousness during digestion than does the thousandfold process which takes place with our physical consumption of food our so-called ingestion to shut the doors and windows of consciousness for a while Not to be bothered by the noise and battle which our underworld of serviceable organs work with and against each. A little piece, a little tabula rasa of consciousness to make room for something new. Above all for the nobler functions and functionaries for ruling, predicting. But here's what I like about this. All that mumbo jumbo. A little peace, a little tabula rasa of consciousness to make room for something new. And boy, isn't that the essence of the idea of forgiveness? Tabula rasa means a blank slate, right? It's this idea that you can be a blank slate. And I don't know if any of us are ever born blank slates or if that's possible. But I like, I think that that's actually a pretty realistic interpretation of forgiveness. Now, you, Paul, have been through a lot of shit with your, I mean, would you some, I don't know, how did we start this discussion? What have you been through and have you been able to find forgiveness in your heart?
1: I, I have. I, uh, I'm i an incest uh, survivor. My abuser was, was my mom. It was covert incest, so uh, a lot of it, it, none of it was, um, you know, overtly a, an overt sexual act, but it was very sexualizing. It was very consistent. Um there were no physical boundaries much like you experienced with with your mom. With my, yeah. Um, my were...
0: my parts were her parts. You got you had let me see it and I was like yeah. what?
1: That's incest.
0: Yeah. Oh that's cool. I didn't even realize yeah. that. Okay. Well yeah. hey. <laughs> yeah, that is.
1: Um it's covert incest, but it's yeah. incest and uh even somebody treating you like a spouse when you're a child, uh that's emotional incest and the thing that covert, overt and emotional incest all share in common and it's the most important part is that it's telling that child you don't matter your needs mm-hmm. don't matter and th- that is where the real damage is it's not about the act per se the act is a representation of the taking away of our of our human n- dignity of our uniqueness you know all that stuff that that needs to be embraced as a child so um that that's kind of the big the big pieces of what happened um,
0: well because what that does just it eradicates the self uh, The self of the child the self of your being who you are what your needs are Am I seen am I heard and these are fundamental needs for every human being and when they're consistently shed on as a kid that's when the trouble comes as an adult, as an adolescent, when you're like, oh my, the world doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand. The world's understand. not safe. Yeah.
1: Intimacy is next to impossible. I'm still struggling with intimacy. Um, I, I've been working on it so hard, and, and I'm, I'm getting better with it. But there, are the ripples of... Uh, sexual uh trauma or just even childhood abandonment or or indifference a mm. parent who is indifferent to you is every bit as damaging as the 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 child who was fucked mm-hmm. uh by a parent because again the the message is you don't matter mm-hmm. and i get so many people that listen to the show that are like they have all the same uh struggles that somebody who was raped by a parent has um or i should say many of the same ones that they have but they can't they have the added hurdle of they can't have compassion for themselves because they feel like they're a baby an exaggerator yeah they didn't have as it as bad as somebody else
0: right right
1: no what matters is that feeling that you have you don't it's not about you know um Making the person who abused you now suffer. It's having compassion for yourself so you can stop suffering. Mm. That's the first hurdle that you need to overcome. And you cannot get to forgiveness without first having compassion for yourself because you can't go to forgiveness intellectually. I tried for fucking years, and I had rage mm-hmm. at my mom. And a lot of it was was taken out in misogyny. That's because I couldn't confront her because mm. she was so wily, like your mom, mm-hmm. um, that I just assumed all women were like my mom. They're manipulative. And and I I was just an angry guy. I was a pig. And... I was so far from being able to forgive because I still hated who I was. Mm. Um, So there there are like these, at least for me, there were these many, many things, hurdles that I had to to clear to get to a point where I could forgive my mom. Mm -hmm.
0: So, But you would say that you are at a point where you have forgiven
1: her. I have. I have forgiven my mom. And that's not to say that occasionally anger or sadness doesn't come up around it or resentment that she is stuck in this childlike place, you know, and, but uh, I don't feel hatred towards her. uh, But to get to that place, I had to cut contact with her. Oh, yeah. And on the surface, that may sound like, well, then you haven't forgiven her. No, it it, it doesn't. I had to, I had to, we have to have compassion for others, but not at the expense of compassion for ourselves.
0: Right, and cutting her off is an act of compassion for yourself, which is something... When you, when you have parents like us, uh, you have to learn that. And the only way to do that is, to, unfortunately, to cut ties.
1: Or give consequences. You know, sometimes yes. it's not cutting contact for some people. But for me, I tried every fucking permutation that you can. And my wife would say mm. to me, you try harder to salvage this thing than anybody I've ever seen. And to me, it felt like I was just throwing my mom under the bus. And that those are those deep mm. grooves that... Mm-hmm needed to be undone. And it was two, the first two years of cutting contact with her was so incredibly guilt-ridden and painful for me. But now in the third year of not talking to her, it's the greatest vacation I've ever had. <laughs> and I, and, I, and I f- I'm starting to feel stronger and yeah. more confident yes. and to take in other people's love. And it's awesome. and And I... I feel sorry for her. I yeah. feel sorry for because she's a broken little girl who is so terrified of looking deeply inside of herself. And um, I see her as that little girl, but it's also like a little girl that that you know throws plates at you when you get in the same room with her. So right. it's like, I love you, little girl, but I'm not walking into that room where you are because I don't want to get hit in the head with it. Nope. A,
0: No, no. And I also, I always visualize my mother like a porcupine, where you know that, you know, it's a porcupine. That's the nature is that it has these painful quills. They're going to hurt you only if you attempt to hug a porcupine. You can't hug them. And there's some people in your life, you're you're never going to be able to hug. We're never going to be able to have the mommy that we wanted. And it's tragic. And it's very sad. And I am not quite where you are. Like some days, on a great day, I can see her as a wounded child. I can see she grew up in a communist country in Hungary. Her mother was died. She was her mother died when she was twelve. She was orphaned. Her father was an alcoholic. She was put up for adoption. Like she and I'm was, sure she, she was, was sexually abused, abused. At, most definitely. And there was just like bang, bang, bang. And you can see the cause and effect intellectually. And I'm what you said earlier. I yes, I get it. The the anger in me is still there, and here's why: because my, your father too, I'm starting to get mad at him because I go, motherfucker, where the
1: fuck were you? Yes. How do you let? How do you sit by and listen to your fucking wife want to see your child's period?
0: Right, or just the criticism, the constant undermining. And now here's the thing. I can, I can forgive my father because he also came from a tragic, horrible upbringing, but he was, his intent never felt evil the way that my right. mother's intent was. Like, my dad was just kind of a dope about stuff. Like, you know, why get a babysitter when I can take my kid to the bar? That's kind of the oh. way he was. <laughs> <laughs> so I grew up in bars and nightclubs. And guess what? Now I work in bars and nightclubs. But that's because... Abandoning
1: yourself. Right. <laughs> at least you're you're right. carrying you're it on fucking you yes. over yeah
0: i'm in charge now yeah. me um but that but that's just cuz that's what he knew and i didn't and i forgive him and it's easy for me I, I get mad at it but i go yeah but he's a dope he's just a dopey commie but it's the it's the other one
1: the manipulative one that's the one that that's so hard that feels that way yeah. and it
0: feels and i know that they're not supposed to be considered manipulative because they don't know what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. It sure feels that way to a kid, that it's deliberate. Yeah. You know, she would kick me out like, you're you're messy, go live with your father. And she would kick me out of the house when I was eight years old to go live with my dad for three weeks and not return my phone calls to an eight-year-old. Like, it's- really, bitch? That see that still gets me. Your
1: childhood is one of the worst childhoods <laughs> ever.
0: I <laughs> can't be Paul. I see. I hear yours, and I hear that. That oh, to me is I, far worse than what I went no, through. No, I was never no. physically, sexually violated.
1: Uh, you know, other than my mom taking my temperature rectally <laughs> until I was eight years old. Oh my god! Oh my
0: god. Uh, did you did you hate that? Like, did you know when it was? coming? It felt weird. I know? felt like
1: I was being tricked. You know, and I remember asking her, saying, "Why do we still do it this way?" Yeah, and and then she would disappear with the thermometer for kind of a long time afterwards. <laughs>
0: what? Why? What I, I going thought. On?
1: Well, you know, I, I'm sure she needed to go. You know, wash it, but it it just hmm. felt like her demeanor would change. That's the only part of the sexualization that, um, where I go. You know, that's kind of rapey most I, definitely I, I, I think but the rest of it i i i always compare it to somebody you know whose father inserted his penis into them or that
0: to me would be uh, that's why i'm saying i don't feel mine was psychological mostly torture i can handle anything psychologically but that to me would would have killed me do you understand like for some but, reason that is the but, but
1: you you go to me. a place where you that thought pops into your head, and there was also a um, th- th- there would be reasons that you know my clothes needed to be off that, that or for me to be undressed, and I would be chided if I wanted to cover up. And when I was about 12, uh, there was a bath. That you know, she said, "Let's get you in the bathtub because I had hurt my knee." And it just felt again that feeling of you're being tricked uh, came up, and I banished the thought because you think, you know, you it was it's too painful of a truth to to think that that's happening. And I got as I was waiting in the bathtub for her to come in, I got turned on. And for years, I blamed myself. I thought I was the dirty one. Mm. And it's, it's – you wind up get going to a place that's very numb, and that's the real ripple from sexual abuse that's so hard to heal from because to heal, you have to feel things. yeah. Which and, is dangerous and scary. It is. And so when you tell me that so horrible, what happened to you, I didn't feel much when it happened. Hmm. I, I went into that place where I shut down, I disassociate for lack of a better word. My brain goes to the, to the happy place, the safe place, whatever it was getting turned on, which I now realize was my way of protecting myself. It's like, oh, I'm going to have control over here. Right. I'm going to get an erection. Um,
0: but which is normal, by the way, which is what I've heard and read,
1: is that that's also
0: part of the shame of sexual abuse Yeah, is then you flog yourself for being aroused by it, which you're you're physically wired, built to be aroused when somebody stimulates that part. You know but what she I mean? Wasn't, There's nothing... because
1: she wasn't uh, touching my genitals, oh, but- I, I, I felt like that that I must have enjoyed... It. But, you know, still, even if you just look at the basic facts, you're a 12-year-old boy, you're, you know, on the cusp of puberty, and here's a female, and yeah, you're, you're naked in front of them. But you, what, you can't take responsibility for that. Yeah. You can't. Uh, but the the – because we numb – we're numb to our own stories. Yeah. I can see, like, when you tell me what happened, I picture myself in your shoes – but I don't picture myself being numb to it to protect myself. Same
0: with me and your story. That would shatter me, what you're describing. That would, you know what I mean? I I can't. Yeah, but you're used to your own form of torture. You are. (laughs) You are. You're used to your own thing. Yeah. Yeah, plus you also learn how to cope with your own thing. Like you adapted to your particular situation, your wiring. Like all those little
1: The thing that I, the the ripple that I really fucking hate about it is how it affects your sexuality. Mm. That's the, that's the part that for years I just thought I was dirty because a lot of my fantasies then revolved around like, you know, a a woman drinking me in with her, her eyes, you know, her objectifying my body. Um, And I couldn't be. Intimate, and I just felt like, um, I just felt like, like what the fuck is wrong with me? And I hated people who seemingly had sexually intimate. Their heart was in the bedroom when they're having sex. I, mm. I, I, I like told myself, oh, they're fucking lame, and I couldn't mm. see for years that this was a product of having been sexualized and. You know, as my therapist describes to me, whatever the acts were that you were violated with, oftentimes that becomes the thing that is most sexually powerful to you. Oh,
0: wow. I'm trying to think of my stuff. Hmm. Does any of it? (laughs) I don't know. I got to think on it. But that's really interesting. But that would make sense.
1: Or it's the thing that that, that disgusts you the most, anything that remotely comes close to it. You know, but... Like the the uh, listener confessions that hmm. that we get on the on the podcast when I, they take these anonymous surveys, and really common is women who were uh, sexually violated, even raped. The only way they can come is by imagining being raped again. Wow! And they blame themselves. They think that that means that that's what they that they wanted that, but it's actually their brain's way of getting in a time machine and going back and taking control of the situation because <laughs> you're willing to fantasize about that. So that's your way of taking control of it. Wow. You know, one of the, when, when I finally gave way. and this is probably too much information for, for some listeners, but I know it's not going to be for you. No, it's fine when I confronted what happened to me with the bath and the thermometer and stuff like that, I'd never had a sexual fantasy um, involving my my mom. But when I finally could see that it was sexual abuse, suddenly my most powerful fantasy was jerking off in front of my mom. Hmm. And I didn't judge it. I went, okay, this is my yeah, brain's yeah. way of of dealing with it. And I I knew that that was my brain's way of dealing with it because the idea of her manipulating me into doing it sickened me mm-hmm. made me nauseous but mm-hmm. the idea of me instigating it and manipulating her oh,
0: how into
1: it was the most arousing thing now it's not so much anymore it's kind of it's kind of gone away um but that is an instance where your brain is trying to take control of a situation and and i'm proud of the fact that i can talk about that in a way where the shame's not on me cuz it should never be
0: but it's not and that's and that's what you learn in in therapy and in talking about this with other people cuz i had a shame issue too you think well where did this come from? And then you go, wait, it's not mine. This isn't mine. And and also the brain is magnificent, like you were just saying, in its capacity to heal you, and it'll heal you through weird stuff, weird dreams, weird impulses, weird inclinations. And I guess the key is to not chastise yourself as you're experiencing them, like you said. Just be at least talk to your therapist. Be open with your therapist. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And and the mm. you know the, our topic is forgiveness, and the most important one is to forgive yourself, and that's the hardest one um, because of the shame. There's a great book by a guy named John Bradshaw called Healing the Shame that Binds, mm. and I highly, highly recommend that one. And, write that down. And if you feel like you've ever experienced covert uh, incest, be it emotional or sexual, uh, there's a book called Silently Seduced, which is mm. about uh, parents that, that kind of uh, treat— their child, like a spouse, that is a profound book that really really helped me begin to have compassion for myself um, but yeah the you know I like to say in the podcast, there's no unhealthy or wrong feelings there's just healthy or unhealthy ways of expressing expressing them, and that's that's key because otherwise I'd still be stuck in that place of you fucking sicko. You've jerked off thinking about jerking off in front of your mom. Mm-hmm. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. I didn't put that there.
0: It's not yours. It's, it's not yours. Do we feel, it doesn't belong to you. Do
1: we feel guilty about our freckles? Right. <laughs> no. So so why would you feel guilty about that? Right oh man it's so deep it's so crazy i still feel a little weird sharing that openly but i feel like that's part of my mission <laughs> in life i think to- it's
0: fantastic you did though because there's someone listening to this going wait a minute you mean i'm not the only freak zoid that yeah. blah 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 that yeah
1: and I, when i get emails from people after i share something like that it feels like the warmest fucking hug
0: yes of course you know what was a big thing for me? I just read this book, like the borderline mom,
1: Bo- understanding the borderline yeah. mother. That <laughs> is such a profound yeah. book. Which which one Woo! was your mom? Which of the four was your mom? The I, witch.
0: I had I had the one that was all four. The, the ice
1: the ice queen. The real oh. insidious oh, okay. monster yeah. of
0: all. She's a combo of the waif, the witch, the queen, the martyr. I forget the yes. It's all four. I, I had the very rare special kind. Nice. <laughs> um, but it's, it was confusing for me as a child because I am an only child, and it was just oh. me and her. So I didn't have anybody to go, hey, did you happen to notice a mom's doing you know this and that? It was all in me. And so I grew up thinking that I'm just a space alien, and wait a minute, you mean your mom didn't do this to you, or that didn't happen to you as a kid? Something's wrong with me. Uh, I think it helps to read books about these things, guys, so that you can check, kind of go... Oh, that's 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 what this is. This isn't this isn't coming from me. This is just a symptom or a thing.
1: This is because of I'm not abnormal. Or, this is yeah. This is a normal way of reacting yes. to an abnormal environment. Exactly,
0: and and I think for me, because I I became an adolescent and I, I became so tortured by my upbringing, I became suicidal at fourteen. I was ready to kill myself because I didn't know that it wasn't my fault that i was depressed and rageful and i felt crazy but surely it wasn't for me
1: i'm ask you a question that i i'm i'm going to be doing a skype session with some some high school kids in a in a couple of days and one of the questions that they want me to answer is how do you know the difference between having a mental illness And just being a teenager. And I don't know the (laughs) answer to that. What what do you think?
0: I'll tell you, at the time, I could have sworn I had mental illness because your brain is so new to depression, to feelings like this. It's all so new, it's also overwhelming. And now as an adult, I have the ability to separate depression from a normal day. But you just don't know because it comes on so quickly.
1: How do you you know when it's depression or just a mental illness? uh, yeah.
0: Well, I know now that I don't feel mentally ill because I'm I'm overall my baseline's pretty positive. I actually,
1: suicidal. <laughs>
0: <Are you laughs> no. Feeling
1: suicidal or no?
0: Oh, I don't now. No, no, no. I'm, That's what
1: I mean. You're over oh. the the feelings of, yeah. of being suicidal. That yes. that was what you would call the baselines of your previous. Back then,
0: yes. Back then at fourteen, the baseline was, I want to kill myself. I want to die. I hate everything. There's no way out. There's no way out. There's no way out. And that's I either everything.
1: mental illness related or trauma related. Yeah. That's not just but being you don't a traumatic teenager.
0: Right. And you don't, but you don't know that. But every, it, it, I feel like if it comes on suddenly and is persistent, and I don't know, if I'm sorry, I wish I knew because as a teenager, you're so in it. There's no, there's no hindsight yet at that age. Or,
1: or foresight. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I know now as an adult, like my baseline's pretty, I'm pretty happy overall. I have a pretty great. As a young child, when I was four years old, is who I am today. I feel that essence of me as being good, as being happy, as being like cheerful. And then, trusting. They tainted it. Someone, someone changed that for me. That wasn't me, you know.
1: And that's why I I think learning how to set boundaries is so huge because you can't become that, reclaim that innocence and dignity if you're still allowing people to to hurt you.
0: Oh boy. You' telling me, and that's a huge part too. As you'll realize, uh, if you don't deal with the stuff that is in your wiring from a kid, guess what? It's going to pop up in the form of a spouse. Mm. That abuse will pop up in the form of your chosen career. Yeah. <laughs> telling <just> telling jokes <laughs> to strangers in bars and different <laughs> cities, living out of a suitcase. Sound familiar?
1: Being a hooker,
0: being a prostitute, yeah. Um, having an abusive boss that's yelling at you
1: and where you, you can't stand up for yourself or you choose not to because you're like, I'm not going to get a better job. Right Th- there. Go, go ahead. Did you want to? No, I'm just
0: there? saying that if you if you see these patterns in your life, if you're listening to this and you go, I wonder why it is. Every guy I date is a total lying piece of shit, abusive asshole. Or, I wonder why every boss I have is kind mm-hmm. of a scumbag or why am I repeating this pattern? Chances are there's something in your past you need to look at a little
1: bit closer and maybe. which is not to say that it is your fault it no. just means that your picker has yeah. uh needs to to be
0: uh aligned. cleaned yeah and aligned. Aligned.
1: there there's a pattern that i see consistently the people who were raised um by narcissistic or abusive or abandoning parents uh go through and it's they fall intensely quote in love uh-huh. with somebody and in the first 3 months it's they feel so alive they want to spend every minute around that person and then that person slowly begins to be jealous of the and that person lavishes compliments on them mm-hmm. and then that person slowly begins to become jealous and question any time you're spending with anybody else and they begin to isolate you. Mm. And it's much like the pedophile who begins to groom Mm. the, the child and they begin to now point out your flaws. And because they've separated you from your support network, you begin to believe them and they eventually have you believing that if you leave them, nobody else is ever going to love you. And that's the control that they were seeking in the beginning whether consciously or not mm. that is something that i see happening over and over and over again and and sometimes the person will say you know if you if you know you you'll never find anybody else or if you leave me uh, i'm going to kill myself that's
0: a uh, boy yes and guess what
1: run run yeah. <laughs> if if that
0: and they're not gonna don't worry about it listen most people that want to kill themselves just fucking do it <laughs> You just do it. Trust me. All right. Coming from experience, like yeah. you'll just do it. Yeah. I, I love when people, my mother used to threaten me with her imminent suicide. And, and the last time she did, she was in a hospital. This is the last time I saw my mother. Uh, I brought my then just boyfriend, Tom, <laughs> my husband, uh, to go. She had a quote, stroke. She was in the hospital. And she goes, I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to kill myself. I said, good, bitch. Go fucking kill yourself because I can't take it anymore. I can't listen good for to for you. you. That was it. And that's the last time I saw her. I talked to the doctor. I go, does she have a stroke? He goes, no. She just fell down at the Lamps Us. <laughs> <laughs> she just fell down. She, she, she bumped her head. I go, no stroke? <sighs> no, no stroke. Oh, my God. Get your life. Get your life. So I, I realized then and there that having her around my future husband, having this person, uh, you know what I mean? It's never ending. It's, she's been dying since 1992, just on her deathbed all the time, sucking me into that, you know, take care of me. And and then when I wouldn't take, I, would t- I tried to take care of her. It wasn't the right way. So I would get chastised for bringing her the wrong type of bread or whatever the fuck.
1: I mean... You don't need to buy your husband a birthday present ever because you've given... (laughs) By cutting contact with your mom, you have given him the greatest yearly present... I
0: know. I know. He could ever imagine. So... But our topic is forgiveness, and I'm going to try to get us there. I, I uh, So let's see. Marianne Williamson, are you familiar with her? I've heard of her. She's not a philosopher, but she's a self-help, like, new-agey guru who I just, I love her. Marianne, she's got a bunch of talks on iTunes. If you want to download her stuff, I, I, I can't recommend her enough. Uh, she, she bases her work on a, a book called A Course in Miracles, which is like a mix of psychoanalysis and some Christian spirituality ideas in there. So she says in her book, A Return to Love, that our job is to constantly seek a greater capacity for love and forgiveness within ourselves. We do this through a, quote, selective remembering, a conscious decision to remember only loving thoughts and let go of any fearful ones. This is the meaning of forgiveness. (sighs) Well, that's easier said than done.
1: I was just going to say the same <laughs> thing, but like what you're doing right now you the pro- you processing the poison that was kind of injected into yeah. you is the first step, and it'll, it will make that possible. But you have to you have to mourn what that little kid didn't get. You have to feel those feelings. You have to unnumb yourself by refraining from the addictions that yes. that numb yourself out, and it's fucking awful. Yeah. Um but it's also beautiful cuz the the thing is i began to process that stuff when i would cry afterwards instead of still feeling sad i would feel like something i would feel lighter not like all of it was gone mm. but i would feel a lessening of it and it comes up in layers it gets buried in layers and it's going to come up in layers but most it, definitely it's so great that you're you're getting ready to go do all of that stuff.
0: Oh, listen, I'm in it, man. I I, I realized that I used work as a way to cover up uh, the need to feel things, the, I'm sorry, the the ability to feel stuff. So lately I've been feeling stuff in therapy and crying and like getting to it. Um, and because I was afraid of of being depressed. I was afraid of feeling the feelings because I got so depressed as a teenager. I was always afraid that if I allowed myself to get sad, I would go down that rabbit hole to 14 years old, suicidal, unable to pull myself out, because at the time I didn't have the tools. But now it's a different time and space. I'm a grown woman. I'm a 38-year-old woman with a a, a good set of friends, a good spouse, a good therapist. It's a different reality and the tools to do it, Yeah. yeah. So that's where I'm at. I'm learning. We'll see if I can get to forgiveness. You might have
1: to get you back on the podcast. When, you're,
0: <laughs> when I've forgiven her?
1: Yeah. Uh, no, I think uh, <sighs> in, the, in the middle of it, because I, I think uh, the listeners, especially the ones who feel stuck, um, love having a guest come on who is in the middle of the shit.
0: Yeah. Well, that's always the scary part. In the shit, man.
1: Go ahead, I interrupted
0: No, no, I I was just... um,
1: So Marianne Williamson.
0: So Marianne Williamson, and then I have this other crap. Forgiving those who wrong us often helps us move beyond strong negative emotions, which, if allowed to fester, could harm us psychologically and physically. And that, to me, is really... Look, why bother forgiving our moms? That's really the point here. Why bother? And it's not... And here's the problem I have with this whole idea of forgiveness, is that they say that you forgive someone to uh, to release this negativity in yourself, right? It's so that you don't go through these shitty feelings to yourself. Now, my problem is, they say, when you forgive someone, you're not pardoning their bad behavior. You are, however, releasing, what, your attachment to the negative feelings about their Taking behavior? Taking it personally taking it personally
1: you're you're releasing the feeling of taking it personally
0: which to me is philosophically causally and it's necessarily connected to pardoning the behavior how do i forgive someone without pardoning the behavior to me those are both linked together so it's it's kind of contradictory in my mind logically i'm saying how do i forgive her when I, I, I cannot, without, I, I, my mind is jumbled.
1: To me, forgiveness is a byproduct that happens from the processing of it and shouldn't be something that is sought. Because I think if you seek to try to forgive somebody, you're going to hit those brick walls because you haven't processed it yet and you're going to feel even worse about yourself because you won't be able yet to truly feel forgiveness for them. You can intellectually say, yeah, I forgive them. I know that they were fucked up, but it's the feelings that you need to purge and Mm. that's, and then the genuinely feeling forgiveness towards them is there. That's where I'm at. I genuinely feel forgiveness towards my mom. But it took me decades to get there, and I had to confront the sexual abuse and feel the rage and the pain and the sadness. And on the other side of that, the byproduct was is that I felt forgiveness for for her. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm comfortable with rage. I've been angry since I was 13, and I feel I, I go through sadness. I go through those—what is it, the Kubler-Ross—
1: yeah, the five, stages. five stages of death and dying. Yeah. It's, I experience that. And, I do too. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I go and I... Anger, denial, yeah, oh, please. bargaining. All the way, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes I have the fantasy that maybe she will change. Every now and then
1: I go through that thing of like... It's one of the worst things you can do for <laughs> I yourself. I it's, it's,
0: it's never gonna happen, It's man. that little kid still waiting yeah. for the
1: parent to show up on time. Yes,
0: yes, and it's never gonna... I think the hardest part is just is accepting that... You know, you're not going to, you just, you don't get to have what a lot of people got to have. And that's the hardest part. But on the other side of that is, well, I kind of don't know what I'm missing. So maybe it's not.
1: And it can be (laughs) your superpower. I know that sounds really grandiose, but the, if you have never been to hell, you can't truly experience the moments that are heaven-like. You yeah. you can't truly absorb them. And I, I believe unless you've really suffered, you can't really truly empathize with somebody to a depth that they can feel like on a spiritual level, on an emotional level where they're like, oh my God, I suddenly feel understood and felt and comforted. Somebody who hasn't experienced that they can help that other person feel less alone,
0: but no. not to
1: the depth. You know, they they took this uh, African guy who was a healer in his village, and they brought him to the United States, and they had him tour uh, metal hospitals. And he was shocked, and he said, "Why are you isolating these people? Mm. Why are you, you know, doing all of these things that are are kind of humiliating and, and isolating?" He, he said, "In our village, what we do is um, we do it uh, like a group ceremony with them, and then that person who has been through that thing, they become the next healer. Absolutely, in the village. Oh, absolutely. And so that's kind of our superpower, for lack of a of a better word, is then we get this this thing that we get to to share with the world. But if we don't process it, we don't get to." Mm-mm that that part of us doesn't get to flourish.
0: Yeah, you stuck, you get stuck in your own BS. You do. Yeah, because it's uh I've found to lately that I can I can channel a lot of stuff into stand up. I was doing it unconsciously for the last like 11 years. Now I can actively channel bad feelings or sadness or whatever, rage, into stand up and I'm aware of what I'm doing and it helps me so much more than it did in the past. In the past my motivations for doing stand up were vastly <laughs> different, you know. And now I just go, oh, but it's my it's my job and I can also channel this ugly part, these bad parts into something cool and and hopefully people will pick it up and, and enjoy it and like it and I can share. I can get out of my own ego, yeah. too. Yes, which and is s- huge to give.
1: And as an artist, uh, I think we find that the more we process that stuff, the bigger a palette we have yeah. to make our art because yeah. it's not just coming from rage and resentment and fuck the world. And yes, that's I've been where dealt was. a shit hand.
0: Yeah. And victim, victim. Uh, mentality and i and it's natural i I don't blame myself or anybody else when you get into that whole thing of like this was done to me this is my story and and it's really easy
1: and that's a phase that needs to be gone through yes and and felt and you know embraced
0: because that's normal and then you go oh i can take responsibility for this i can now change this i can now
1: i can now forgive and I think that's why support groups are so awesome, is because you get a chance to help somebody who has a, an experience similar to yours, and that helps. That's the for me. That was the biggest thing to help me get out of victim mode because I realized this isn't about me. This is yeah. about me connecting to the world in a way that has meaning and purpose.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, do you ever listen to Dr. Laura? I can't,
1: I can't stand <laughs> I her. I know.
0: I know. And I. But could... every once in
1: a while, something will come out of her mouth where yes. I'm like. Absolutely. Well, can, Absolutely. I, can I tell you,
0: I started listening to her on in the, in the car on like XM mm-hmm. radio. And at first I was like, this is the hateful mother. She's the angry mom. And that's why I'm attracted and simultaneously repelled by her. Because she's harsh the way my mother is. So it feels normal, feels good in a weird way. But she, I do like some of the stuff she says. I don't agree with her stuff that she says about gays or the women's movement. It's ridiculous. Uh, but she talks about... If you want to help yourself, the best way is to help other people, and that sounds really base and really silly and banal, but it's the absolute truth. Because you're getting out of me my story, my, and when you and it's something small. Like some days, I'll come home and I'll go, "What does Tom want? What would make my husband happy today? What would what can I do? Uh, I, I noticed so and so was bummed out today. What can I do to make that person's day a little?" Nicer,
1: complimenting somebody in yeah. line in front of you and coffee—that's what I. I oh, that's one of my favorite things to do. Oh, you know, returning your shopping cart, using your turn signal—you know, these are all ways to to bring just little bits of uh, good to to the world. That it doesn't have to be grandiose. You don't have to join the fucking Peace Corps.
0: No, no, but in in doing that, you—the extension of giving uh, love and doing positive things—makes you better i don't know how that works i don't know but i like it to me I'm that's god that, I, yeah that,
1: that is i don't believe in a dude with a beard, but i believe in love and positive energy and yeah it's always there it's just whether or not it's like electricity do we want to plug or we're like lamps do we want to plug our it in to be yes. what we're truly meant to be otherwise we're just decoration
0: for sure man oh i like that so forgiveness um Are there unforgivable acts? I mean, look at something. Something, well, child abuse and molestation, we've kind of covered that. And apparently if you've suffered as a victim of that, you can forgive your abuser. What about the Nazis? What about, do we forgive?
1: They put on a nice parade. (laughs) Everybody overlooks that. Hitler was a go-getter. Say what you will about him. (laughs) He did more before noon. That's true. Than I do all day.
0: And they did have cool outfits. I like their aesthetic. They were
1: orderly. The trains ran on time. <laughs> I enjoy a crisp salute. Although oh, I got to say, most of those guys, crisp. most of those guys, I love that. if they were alive, would have serious shoulder problems. You think so? Yeah. That's a, that salute, salute is not. That's not meant for older people. <laughs> that is not an old person salute. <laughs> style salute Ugh, they mean, would have started doing it from the <laughs> hip you know just a little <laughs> kind of gimpy almost like it's coming from their pocket right because you know,
0: oh, oh, that, that is one form of evil like i don't know about you but every time a nazi documentary comes on i it's as if it's the first time i've seen it it never ceases to horrify me well
1: you also have a connection uh, well, I'm
0: a Nazi. Yes,
1: to, uh, yeah, no, but I hate you, the
0: Jews. No, you,
1: but your where your mother came from was yes. affected by. I mean, all of us certainly were affected by World War II. Everybody, yeah. even in countries that didn't fight in World War II. Um, but I think you having a mother who came from Europe is probably oh boy more
0: well yeah Eastern so. all all my whole family's from that region, from Hungary, Yugoslavia. My father was born in, uh, Bavaria. So East Germans. And, uh, my grandmother told me that they knew what was going on. They were living in Germany. Everybody knew that the Germans were exterminating the Jews. And she goes, I knew it because I could smell the oh, bodies being burned so in the air. And we didn't do anything about it. And they, everybody kind of uh, turned their backs on that. And they knew it. Yeah, I think it's the trauma of wartime. I think... I think I'm going through the residual trauma of, of uh, you know, two or three generations getting screwed over by war. You have the Russians screwing us over in Hungary, the the, uh, the Germans. So, yeah, lots of trauma, lots of people who weren't entitled to their feelings for generation after generation. I'm blessed enough to be in this country to afford a wonderful therapist and have a life where I I have the leisure to sit around and mm-hmm. think these thoughts. This is new in my Bloodline. So I'm the first of of the line.
1: <laughs> you know the the one that I have the hardest one with these days is uh, homophobia and transgender phobia. Um, it it's it's so unnecessary. Yeah, it's you a weird I mean? one. It's so weird. It's to me. so you know. All of that you, you said, you know, is any of this stuff forgivable? I believe individual people can be forgiven. Um, I don't believe acts are. I don't because we all have bad moments. We all have a, a shadow side, um, and we all do things that we regret out of fear. So, you know, where on that scale do we say anything beyond this is unforgivable? I don't know where that. That is When I see a documentary about a serial killer, obviously my first sympathy is with the victims and their families. But I feel compassion for that person because I'm a recovering addict and I know what it's like to say, I'm not gonna drink tonight. Mm. I'm not gonna get loaded. And then I find myself hammered Um, or I used to, find myself hammering at midnight, driving 105 down the 405, weaving in and out of cars like it's a video game, not caring if I kill myself or somebody else. So how can I judge a serial killer? My thing, just thank God, was alcohol. Right. His or her thing is so much fucking worse. But I understand powerlessness Mm. and compulsion. So uh, I don't, I, I think... Forgettable, no. Mm-mm. Forgivable, yes.
0: Or maybe understandable. Maybe when you understand, understandable—that's
1: a better word. Yeah. Than,
0: maybe if you if you understand people's motives, you go, well, look, X, Y, and Z. Like with my mother, intellectually, I'm there. Yes, un- understandably so. That yeah. she was unable to. She couldn't love herself, therefore she couldn't possibly love a child or a yeah. husband or friends or any of that. She was never given a shake in life. uh, So,
1: I maybe Mm. a better way of phrase I'm more comfortable with is anything is potentially forgivable. Mm. Potentially forgivable.
0: I like that one
1: because I've never, I I didn't experience being in a concentration camp. So, for who am I to say, you know, that that goes under the category of uh, forgivable,
0: man. You know, you talked, I've read so many books from Holocaust survivors, or you just watch these documentaries, and so many, these, these people, so many of the survivors are able to, to forgive. forgive their captors. And
1: those are the ones that have healthier lives, that flourish, yeah. that are able to then appreciate the good that is in their lives.
0: I agree with that. I do think a certain level of uh, resiliency will make you a happier person. I do know because I grew up with such hard knocks parents that like a lot of shit doesn't phase me that phases a lot of people. <laughs> and that, that might be the the rainbow of of my childhood is that, yeah, come on. That that ain't nothing. You ain't seen shit. Like, you know, let's get into it. Come on. But anyway, so here's a great quote. I love this. I, I love Dr. Laura books too. Okay. I know it sounds corny, but I read everything. There's a great book she uh, wrote called, it's called like Bad Childhood. Uh, Good adulthood or something corny like that. I really I liked it because it really Breaks it down for you. So dr. Laura says a useful definition of forgiveness involves you renouncing you renouncing anger or resentment against that person But it doesn't excuse or pardon them for their harmful actions Nor does it require you to stay involved with them in any concrete way I believe that forgiveness does not require forgetting the wrongs against you or others It should not absolve them from their guilt nor from the appropriate consequences, but it does require you to move beyond certain emotions like humiliation, grief, resentment, rage, and so forth. Your forgiveness is not for their sake. It is for yours. It becomes a commitment to your own well-being. And that is the truth, boy, because you can't have a life, a good life, if your mind and your heart are dominated by negative emotions. Yeah. So it's selfish reasons that one becomes... Forgiving. Forgiving and but Nietzsche was saying forgetfulness is quite a good thing
1: to focus on the positive yeah yeah I, you know there's this saying that um resentment is like taking the poison and expecting the other person to die
0: right right absolutely it's yours and that's that is kind of what this Nietzsche quote is i did, i didn't explain it enough i don't uh but forgetfulness and, and amnesia the ability to forget is it's so fundamental to being a human being? Imagine if you remembered every transgression committed against
1: you, you would go insane. Or that you've done, you know. That's yeah, oh, I think,
0: forget that. Oh my god. And that's
1: why I think twelve-step groups are so good because you look at your part in things, and it's that was one of the beginnings for me to be able to forgive other people. Was I was like, oh my god, I should have been getting called on my shit every day. Yeah, and people gave me leeway. I should consider giving other people leeway. Not to be confused with allowing myself to be a doormat, but to to not hold on to resentment, to understand that hurt people hurt people.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that today, too, how how lucky I've been to have surrounded myself with friends and a spouse (laughs) who are very forgiving to me, excuse me, over the years. I mean, I haven't been this fucking self-aware
1: for the last, what, 20 years? Oh, my God. I see a book in you.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah? Seriously. Let's do it. What? I'll write about my crazy mom. I have to get way more famous, and then I can yeah. s- get on Oprah and stuff. Or maybe stuff. that'll
1: be the thing that makes you famous.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm so not there yet. God.
1: you maybe, know. Maybe we should oh. co- uh, co-write a book about inappropriate moms. Our shitty moms? <laughs> because that's what—I that's. I feel like moms— <laughs> get away with more stuff because a they have access to their children's bodies they they are gen- genuinely more intimate but there's it's also easier because abusers it, it's easier for them to do what they do because one of the things that abusers do is they will try to keep what they're doing underneath the radar and there's nobody oh, for, it's easier yes. for than than moms <sighs> And they also do a lot of good stuff for us too because we're around them so much and they tend to – even the bad ones tend to have a, an occasional nurturing side. Mm.
0: Not all of them. Yeah. yeah. Not no. your mom. No, I'll tell you what. Okay. Now every now and then there was a – that's a thing too that gets you hooked as a kid is that you see glimmers of normalcy and so you go. Oh, maybe. That. Yeah, maybe this is this day will be different. Maybe she's normal, and then no, the demon. Uh, what was really insidious about my mom is that she was able to fool people into thinking she was the life of the party. And I'll tell you, my mother is a beautiful woman. She's gorgeous, blonde hair, blue eyes, huge cans. You know, petite. She looks like Zsa Zsa Gabor, gorgeous Hungarian lady. And what a personality. When she wanted to turn it on, she was the life of the party. My mother is really funny can deliver a line and the sarcasm and the look and the, she's very theatrical. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my friends would be like, Oh, your mom's like so cool. She's the coolest. And I remember going like, eh, not so much. What that's should come what, that's with exactly
1: us? what people would say. <laughs> and that's textbook narcissism.
0: Oh, baboo. Yeah. I mean, yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on. That's the fucking
1: worst. Ugh. And, and I have some of those qualities, you know, yes. there's nobody that I'm, um, meaner to than the people that love me. There's Mm. nobody that I withhold love from more or I'm harder on. That's a a better way because I I don't consider myself mean anymore, but I can be really withholding from the people that love me because I care deeply about what even strangers think about me. And that's very similar to my mom in a lot of ways. Mm. And that has helped me forgive her is to see that I can be two-faced sometimes, that... You know, I said to my wife sometimes, or I said to her one time, um, not too long ago. I said, "God, I'm so sorry." You know about that thing where I was I was hard on you. It occurred to me that if I was reading your situation as a survey on my show, I would have had so much compassion mm. for you. But as your husband, in that moment, I had no compassion for you, and I'm so mm. sorry. And she, she said, "I thought the same thing to myself. Hmm. That if if this were a survey from one of your listeners, I'd have gotten compassion for you.
0: Wow! And
1: I realized that's so much like, so much like my mom because everybody fucking loves my mom.
0: <laughs> Don't you hate that? That was the yeah. hard part. But it's also uh, I find that." Uh, Yes, I'm harder on people like my husband sometimes but it's the fear at least in the past it was the fear of losing him now I see that now I go Yeah, it's because i'm terrified of losing what I have now. My life is way better than it was growing up and i'm so afraid Of like, oh my god, what if what if this all goes away and you know, i'm dealing with that too You can't control anything. And and in worrying about it, you'll actively create the scenario that actually gets rid of people. So I've learned all that. Uh, I try to look through love and compassion. That is the key is, is love first and compassion for yourself and for others.
1: That is the huge one, man. And Start with compassion for yourself and then the compassion for others will, will come. And I believe forgiveness will be a byproduct, but don't worry anybody out there struggling with forgiveness. Put it aside for right now. Yeah. Put it aside. Mm. Process the pain. Process the sadness. Process the rage mm. with a mental health professional or support group.
0: Yeah, get into counseling. I, I mean that. For anybody listening, just do it. Find there's people on sliding scales. There's all kinds of help. And I know Google some of low-fee
1: you have- therapy there you in go. the name of your town or city. You can call 211 and uh, find out what uh, maybe even free things are available in your area if you've ever been the victim of- uh, uh, sexual trauma um, uh, call uh, go to the rape and incest national network uh, r a i n n dot org you can uh, often get free counseling from them, even if it was something uh, that happened thirty years ago.
0: Yes, I heard you saying that to Lauren Ashley Bishop uh, that this program you speak of, they will treat you as though it just happened
1: yesterday, so
0: don't feel like, oh, but this happened to me several years ago. I'm okay now, no, 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 just go. And I know people listening now to this go, you know, I'm thinking about therapy. I'm on the fence. I don't know. Well, listen, when is it enough? When are you, how much anxiety are you going to feel? How many, don't let years of your life go away. I remember feeling so, so full of anxiety and depression for, for years before I got my ass on that couch. And I, my only regret is that I didn't start sooner. You know, I wasn't ready for it, obviously. But that anxiety, that low-grade depression, that feeling that you have inside of you that maybe something isn't 100%, listen to that. Honor it. Just go talk to somebody.
1: And there's going to be many times that you don't want to go to therapy. You can't wait for the session to end. But it's like the gym.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I like to think what yeah.
1: having an abandoning childhood is a forced gym membership for the yeah. soul.
0: Yeah, it is. It's so much karma. That's what the the Buddhists, the Buddhists, the Eastern say. We're just working out that type of. Uh... You know what I found though? I do feel as though I'm orphan. I'm an orphan. I've always felt that. You too. Yeah, emotionally, I've been an orphan, but. If you look at all the great stories, the myths, they're all orphans. If you look at every great story, it's always starting with... Well, it's Spider-Man's an orphan, right? A lot Batman's of the best orphaned. artists. Yeah. Uh, and in a way, that's a positive thing because I get to build who I am. I get to recreate my story. I get to create actively who I want to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's good stuff in there, I guess. So here's... Hold on. Oh, Oh, I wanted to leave you guys... I don't want you to, I want to leave you with something. If you're thinking, if you want to know how to forgive somebody, let me just read this for whatever. Oh, 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 this is so silly, but I love Louise Hay. She's, she's from Hay House Radio. If you look, that's like an internet radio station. Louise Hay, this old broad, she was a survivor of sexual abuse. And in the 80s, she helped a lot of people dealing with AIDS. Um, she has great books, tons of self-help books. But anyway, Louise Hay says, "If you're trying to forgive somebody, I don't think you're right about this. Don't try to forgive them. But what you can do is send them loving thoughts, loving affirmations, uh, and that that's not something you formally have to sit down and do. Do that in the shower. I do and that it can, every now and then. And, and it
1: then. can feel false. It's okay. It, and
0: that's okay. It will, but it's an affirmation where you, affirmation is you say the opposite of what's really happening in yeah. the hopes that it'll turn into. <laughs> so I do that every now and then. Wish I send good my mom love, yeah. and I I send her love and light." Um, meditation helps tremendously And I think I. you ever send it the on. maids
1: Just to mix it yes, up Yes
0: Yes I do Yeah, yeah. I, I Can I tell you my fantasy I do yeah. I, I, I do have the death fantasy With her Where I'm oh. like Oh I can't wait for her Just to fucking die
1: Just it's fucking Me too die. I can't wait for your mom to die <laughs> Me too
0: <laughs> But I'm like oh, I hope she left me some money And then But knowing her She's so spiteful She didn't leave she'll, me
1: she'll, penny. And, she and did, she'll, she'll, she'll come she, back from the dead Just could, to remind you <laughs> Sit up in her coffin <laughs> This place is a mess.
0: <laughs> Christina. It also, yeah, and she always just tell me every time she had a new sickness, she goes, well, I'm not going to die because God only takes the good ones. <laughs> and that was her joke that God only takes the good ones. And I'm like, yeah, you fucking bitch, you're right.
1: <laughs> I wish God
0: would take you. Um, yeah, meditation, that really helps. Uh, prayer helps it 's kind of like reconditioning your mind all these forms of self helps and uh, affirmations, which is kind of what we said before it 's a retraining, feeling the grief of the loss of the situation um, and understanding circumstances of the abusers, I think helps a lot
1: absolutely
0: empathy, compassion. Which is what you said in the very beginning when we sat down here, compassion for
1: yourself then turns into compassion for others. And st- start with giving weight to what happened to you. If, if, if yeah. people are around you are telling you that you minimized what happened to you, yeah. start with believing them. Yeah. Start with believing them and just to, just to see what will happen. That's how it started for me As I said, what if I'm wrong about you know, what had happened to me that it's not a big deal? You know, And my wife had been saying this to me for 20 years. When I broke down and finally said what happened to me was sexual abuse, I wanted to die. And I went for a hug from my wife and she hugged me and I said, my mom tricked me. She used me. I was a good boy and I didn't deserve it. And I started sobbing and she said, I've been waiting 25 years for you to say this. But that was the first time in 25 years I'd been able to feel it. And that's when... The healing started for me wow but I didn't want to feel that abandonment because what kid wants to say I was raised by somebody who was emotionally predatory
0: yeah it's very devastating it's a very sad loss it's a it's a monumental loss it is one of the biggest losses you will feel mm-hmm. when you realize that if it's if it's at that level and some of you listening may not have had as much stuff going on <laughs> that Paul and I but don't it doesn't diminish. I know some of you listening go yeah but my mom wasn't a borderline or my mother didn't sexually doesn't ma-
1: doesn't it, matter. it doesn't matter guys feelings.
0: yeah if you yeah. feel it chances are something was hanky something yeah. was up Um so yeah just address it right but look I think you and I are lucky we found spouses um, who are obviously very forgiving and, and loving and supportive Yeah, and we have good therapists yeah <laughs> and we have each other Paul
1: that's right. That's true. <laughs> it's true.
0: So thank you for being here. I really appreciate you I sharing. I
1: really looked forward to this, and it did not disappoint, because oh. I love talking to you.
0: Yeah, me too. Let's do this again. Let's revisit like every year and see where we're at. I'd love that. All right. Thanks for being here, Paul. Thank you. Bye.
1: Now what? I don't know. Philosophize, Philosophize with with <laughs>
0: It's Christina P. A.K.A. Miss Jeans. This ain't your mom's house. It's a different theme. Gotta be critically thinking. Like you caught up at a cocktail party. our thoughts start to sink in. John Locke. Or was it Socrates? Aristotle or Plato, maybe Hippocrates? Got us talking all properly, topically. Just a comedian discussing these philosophies. Serious questions, silly people. What's that? that? That's deep, bro. It is the ultimate metaphor for life, and you know what that is? What? That's That's deep, bro. That's deep, bro.